Well, hey friends, great to be with you today. I thought we might begin by picking up where we left off last week. Uh, for those of you who might not have been here, last week we talked about the beginnings of sexuality, marriage, and friendship. That was obviously a challenging message to prepare and deliver. I don't know I've ever spent that much time in preparation for one sermon. But I know it was also a challenging message to hear and, and process, given how complex and controversial and, and personal these topics are. Now, if you missed the message, I really encourage you to go back and give it a listen for yourself so, so you can fully hear our heart as well as our perspective on all these things. Now, quite a few of you have asked how the message was received. And to this point, the response has been positive and, and gracious, even from folks who might see things differently one way or another. Overall, people seem to appreciate the opportunity to think things through from a biblical perspective and to do so with a, with a tone of compassion and respect. So we've been having follow-up conversations with folks who have reached out, and we'll continue to do that. If you should know of someone who felt troubled by the message or is struggling with it in any way, please encourage them to reach out or let us know if we can help. Uh, we did have a small but meaningful listening session with LGBTQ people from our congregation last Tuesday evening, and we'll be holding a similar session for family members uh, this Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock here in Lexington at the Adult Learning Center. So staff and elders will be processing all this feedback as, as we continue to think about how we can best love and serve our congregation and our community. As challenging as it's been, I am so grateful to be able to preach to a thoughtful, gracious, biblically grounded congregation that's committed to meeting people where they are, as they are, and loving them in Jesus' name. So thanks for being part of what I believe is a very unique faith community. Now, by the way, I added a personal story at the end of the Sunday morning message that, that didn't make it to the digital sermon. So if, if you want to catch it, you can find the live version posted on our Sermon Archives page and on the YouTube channel. And I give you full permission not to listen to the whole thing again. You can fast forward to the last 10 minutes. But to pick up where we left off, uh, we talked about sexuality as the human drive for connection. Not just as men and women, but as human beings. We long to be close, to know and be known, to, to love and be loved. Not, not just in a sexual way, but in every way and in a variety of relationships. Uh, we close the digital message with a quote that I didn't get to share in the in-person sermon. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. It's a startling reminder that our sexuality, our longing for deep and meaningful connection, is a reflection of our longing for a deep and meaningful relationship with God. It's one of our favorite expressions of personal relationship with God. It's not religion, we like to say. It's a relationship. But what does that mean exactly? How is such a thing even possible? I mean, we have a hard time being in a relationship with human beings, people we can call on the phone and have dinner with, people we can hug and holler at. How in the world are we supposed to be in a relationship with a spiritual being 
we can't physically see or hear or touch. And where do we get the idea that God even wants to be in a relationship with us? Skeptics and critics will argue that, that this idea of a personal relationship with God wasn't even a thing for the first 1,800 years of church history. It was evangelists of the 19th and 20th centuries, people like Charles Fuller and Billy Graham and Bill Bright, who, who made that expression popular. So is it really a biblical idea? And if so, what does it look like? And how do you know if you have one? Well, with those questions in mind, let's once again go back to our beginnings as recorded in the book of Genesis. Let's look at how a man named Abraham, along with his wife Sarah, came to be known as the father of faith for three major world religions. And let's see what they have to teach us about having a personal relationship with God. We're going to look at a couple of passages in Genesis today. And then, as we've been doing each week, we'll jump to the New Testament to see where these beginnings would eventually take us. So let's begin in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, we looked at this passage briefly with Ed Stetzer a couple of weeks ago when we considered the beginning of mission. But, but let's take a closer look today and focus on the interactions between God and Abram, who would eventually be known as Abraham. Now, to appreciate what's happening here, we have to remind ourselves of what's happened up until this point in Genesis. So far, God's grand vision for humankind and the world has gotten off to a pretty rough start. You could call it a failure to launch. The first human couple, Adam and Eve, broke faith with God by eating from the one tree God asked them not to, and they lost their place in the Garden of Eden. The first set of siblings, Cain and Abel, couldn't get along, and one ended up murdering the other in cold blood. Things got worse from there. And after a flood wiped things clean, God started over again with a man named Noah, who began well building an ark to save his family and the creatures of the earth. But within a generation, Noah and his descendants had made a mess of things again. And eventually, the peoples of earth decided that instead of spreading out and filling the earth as God had asked, they decided to band together in one place, building a tower to make a name for themselves apart from God. And so, at a certain point, it seems from a human perspective, God decides to try a different approach. He calls a man named Abram to leave his people his land, and his gods, and follow him into something new. And that something new looks like a relationship, a personal involvement in each other's lives. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Six times in three verses, God says, I will do something. 
pledging his personal commitment to this man and his family. This God, who Abram did not know, will enter into Abram's experience, walk alongside him, and and partner with him to bring blessing to the whole world. So relationships always begin with a call. Someone reaches out to someone else and invites them into something new. An acquaintance calls and asks if you want to get coffee or, or have dinner. A parent calls to see if your child can come for a play date. An employer calls and asks if you want to come work for them. Someone from church calls and asks if you want to join their small group. Relationships always begin with one person reaching out to another and inviting them into something new, something closer. And what we're learning here from the beginning is that it's always God who reaches out and calls us. We're going to see it happen again and again through the Scripture as God calls all kinds of people to something new. Shepherds and soldiers and prophets and prostitutes, an old priest, a young virgin, tax collectors, fishermen, slaves, masters, Jews, Gentiles. Now, now the call of Abraham was obviously a remarkable, pivotal, first-of-its-kind call. But the difference between Abram's call and our call is a difference maybe of scope and scale, but not substance. I believe that God calls every one of us to a relationship with him that will bless us so we can bless the world. Years ago, a Christian thinker named Oz Guinness wrote a book entitled The Call, which has become something of a classic. Uh, He defines the call this way. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out in response to his summons and service. Now, that's a mouthful, I know. But, But can you feel the richness the potential of the relationship God is inviting us into. It involves every aspect of our lives. It's a source of power and purpose that enables us to make a difference in the world. Now, can this really be true? Are we having delusions of grandeur here? No, not really. Listen listen to what the New Testament tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading from the Message Translation. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Do you hear the intentionality? the significance, the depth of relationship and purpose that God invites us into when he calls us by name? This is where the idea of a personal relationship with God begins. Thousands of years ago, with the call of a man named Abram. And it's it's where every person's relationship with God begins. 
Can you think of a time in your life when you might have heard that call? Uh, maybe you heard it as a child, a parent, a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a student ministry leader told you that, that God made you and loves you and, and wants to be your forever friend. Maybe it wasn't until you were an adult that someone shared the, the news of God's love with you in a personal conversation or, or a Bible study group or a church service. Maybe you found yourself in a crisis, a time of great trouble or great need, and something or someone spoke into your life, and you sensed God calling you personally to himself. Uh, next week, we'll be celebrating baptisms on a few of our campuses. Now, we won't get to hear all the stories, so let me share a portion of one of them for a moment. Growing up, I did not attend church, though I was baptized as a baby, and heard about God here and there from others in my life, but never felt connected to God or known by Him. In high school, I felt lost, lonely, and invisible. That is when I met my now husband, who took me to his church for Christmas, and always spoke openly and listened intently, even when discussing hard topics. After my dad passed away the summer before my junior year of college, I had many more spiritual questions and began to wonder more about God. We graduated from college, got married, and moved into an apartment together. While living there, we started attending Grace Chapel. We took the Alpha course, which helped answer some of my questions. At the retreat, I opened my heart to God and felt a deeper personal connection to Him than I had ever felt before. However it happens, a personal relationship with God begins when we sense Him calling us to Himself and to a new way of living and being. Now, when that call comes, we have a decision to make. Will we answer it or not? Will, will we follow God into that new way of living and being? In other words, it involves a commitment. And that's not always an easy thing to make. In Abram's case, that commitment would involve leaving behind his people, his land, and his gods. And in the ancient world, leaving your country and your people and your household, that was a crazy thing to do. The world beyond was dangerous and unknown. Having no people and no place was a terrifying prospect. Not, not to mention, Ur of the Chaldees, where Abram was likely from, was not a bad place to live. Uh, that ancient city has been excavated and, and recognized as, as one of the wonders of the ancient world. Broad thoroughfares, indoor plumbing, luxurious homes. It was an urban center, a seaport. It was a religious city with many gods. Abram's wife's original name was Sarai, which means princess. So she might have been nobility in that city. So all this to say that leaving all that behind and following this new God to an unfamiliar land couldn't have been an easy thing to do. But Abraham went, according to verse 4. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. 
Now, from what we know, Canaan was a wild and barren place, inhabited by pagan people groups who were constantly at war with each other. <laughs> I can imagine Sarai looking at Abraham and saying, you made me leave my designer tent and travel 800 miles on the back of a camel for this? But the text goes on to tell us, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. I don't know how blessed Abram felt in that moment. But in faith, and we'll talk about that word later, in faith, Abram believed that this was the land where God would meet him, bless him, and make him a blessing to many people. So a personal relationship with God begins with a call, but at some point requires a commitment, a decision to enter into that relationship, to leave something behind and follow God into something new. It might mean leaving behind beliefs or habits, relationships, priorities, things that are familiar and comfortable. I kind of hate to admit this, but I was reminded on Facebook recently that my 50th high school reunion is coming up next spring. Seeing the invitation and, and pictures of some of those high school classmates, <laughs> it brought back all kinds of memories, including a, a commitment I made in those years to follow Christ. As you know, I've heard me tell, my, my relationship with God began when, when I was a little kid. But the stakes suddenly got higher in high school. As many of my friends started heading in different directions with their choices and their lifestyles. And these are kids I'd, I'd known since third grade. Kids I'd, I'd grown up with and done school projects with and played sports with. I remember the day it dawned on me. In the locker room after practice one day, as the guys planned their weekend activities, I realized that if I was going to follow God with my whole heart, it would mean leaving behind some of these friendships. It would mean skipping some parties and, and walking the halls alone sometimes, which it did. And, and many of you have had to make similar and, and likely much more difficult decisions than that. Sometimes later in life when it's a lot more complicated. Now, sometimes it's a commitment to leave behind attractive things that might be getting in the way of following Christ. Sometimes it means leaving behind ugly things that have a powerful hold on your life. Here's another story from someone being baptized next week. I lived most of my life pushing Jesus out and pulling myself in. A life of self-will, fear, anger, resentment, and judgment of myself and others, which resulted in a loneliness that can only be felt and not explained. Quote, Jesus, you never shut the door on me. Instead, you allowed me to come back and to feel your love and forgiveness in a way that is beyond my understanding. Jesus, I am now ready to surrender myself to you and to proclaim you as my Lord and Savior. That's a commitment. And it takes a commitment to, to leave old things behind. But, but that commitment clears the way for something new. So that's what Abram does. 
He answers the call by leaving behind the life he knew and committing himself to this new God and this new land. Well, let's fast forward about 10 years and jump to chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, a lot has happened in 10 years, good and bad. Abram and Sarai have had to deal with a famine, a dangerous and contentious stay in Egypt, a parting of the ways with his nephew Lot, and a battle with an alliance of Canaanite kings. After all of this, we're told, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, that's the first time in Scripture that particular phrase is used, the word of the Lord came. And it's a signal that God is now speaking in a way God has never spoken before, more personally. Do not be afraid, Abram. But, but what exactly is Abram afraid of? Well, the first thought that comes to mind is that he's, he, he might be afraid of those four kings coming back after him. But, but he's already defeated those kings once, and, and actually he showed no fear the first time around. It turns out this was a different kind of fear, as we read in the next few verses. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abram is afraid that God is not going to come through, that, that things are not going to turn out as God has promised. Remember, it's been 10 years since God made that promise of a child and a land. And Abraham has done everything God has asked him to. But still, after all that, he has no child and no land. And now he's beginning to fear that he never will. Have you ever been afraid of that? That, that, that God might not come through? Uh, that, he, that he might not heal your loved one the way you'd like to, or that you might not get the next job you want, or that he might not lead you to that special someone, or, or forgive what you've done, or bring someone you love back to faith or back to you. It's a pretty common fear, actually. And it's brought Abram to a place where he's begun to doubt the character and the promises of God. He's so afraid, he dares to push back with God, to question God's wisdom and God's ways. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? He asks. It's a pretty honest and audacious prayer. But God hears it. God doesn't rebuke Abram for talking back or for doubting. What God does is to answer him. Then the word of the Lord came to him. There's that phrase again. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. The Lord lets Abram know he has heard him and then reassures him 
that the promised son will show up. You see what's happening here? A conversation, a back and forth between the eternal God and an old Bedouin man. I remember, I remember scenes at our dinner table when our kids were younger and, and all living at home. Our daughter Kelly was the oldest in, in high school at that point, followed by three younger brothers in middle and grade school. Now, mealtimes were pretty chaotic in those days. Six of us around the table and three boys who mostly grunted, made fun of each other, and wolfed down their food. <laughs> I remember Kelly saying to them more than once, Listen, you guys, this is how it works. I say something, and you listen. And then you say something back to me. It's called a conversation. It took some years, but eventually they got the hang of it. And that's what's happening here. A conversation. God says something. Abram listens, and then sends something back. And instead of pulling rank or shutting Abram down... God says something back to him, something personal and reassuring. They'll do that six more times in this chapter. Then God takes Abram outside for a little walk, and they look at the stars together <laughs> like a scoutmaster with one of his campers. It's such a vivid scene. It makes me wonder if, if Abram actually felt God's hand on his shoulder. So, so we're learning something here about this relationship with God. It begins with a call that leads to a commitment, many commitments probably. But once that relationship gets started, it grows through conversation. <laughs> and this is just the first of many conversations Abram and God will have in the chapters to come. That's how personal this relationship is. You can talk to God. You can ask questions. You can push back. You can voice your complaint. You can bear your soul. And God listens and responds and continues the conversation till there's some sort of resolution. Now, we don't know exactly how all this, these conversations took place between Abram and God. Was it, was it an inner voice? Was it like hearing Morgan Freeman speaking out of the clouds? We don't really know. It probably happened in a variety of ways, as it does with us. God speaks to us often through the Scripture. He speaks through spiritual leaders and mentors. He speaks through your small group gathered in a living room, and maybe through a friend over a cup of coffee. He speaks through nature. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. And he speaks by that still, small voice of the Spirit within us. And then he lets us talk back to him through prayer, through worship, through journaling, through our tears and our laughter and our questions and our groanings too deep for words. Even our questions and groanings over, over what's happening in the Middle East. Anything and everything. So after going back and forth with each other a couple of times over this matter of a promised son who hasn't shown up yet, Scripture tells us that Abram believed the Lord 
and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's one of the most important verses in the whole Old Testament. It's quoted verbatim three times in the New Testament. And the Hebrew word used here means to lean your whole weight on something. In other words, it's not just having confidence in someone or something. It's expressing that confidence in action. The New Testament word for it is, is faith. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, puts it this way. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Now, there's a hackneyed old sermon illustration that I'm almost too embarrassed to use, but it works, so here goes. Let's take this stool here. I have every reason to believe that this stool will hold me up. Looks pretty well made. All the joints are tight. I know other people have sat in this stool and has held them up. I actually sat in this stool last week and it held me up. It's one thing to believe that the stool will hold me up. It's another thing to actually sit in that stool and put my whole weight on it. That takes faith to actually act on what I believe and and trust the chair to hold me up. Now, maybe it doesn't take that much faith. I'm a pretty skinny guy, but you get the idea. And and that's what Abram does here. He, He takes the whole weight of his longing for a son and he puts it on God. And that faith, it turns out, is all that God is asking for. Abram believed God, and God credited to him as righteousness. It's the Bible's way of saying that from that moment on, Abram and God were good with each other. They had a relationship based on faith, and faith alone. Remember, the law hadn't been given yet, so there were no commandments to keep. The sacrificial system hadn't been established yet, so there was no religion to observe. There was no written collection of teachings, so so there was nothing to study or agree to. All Abram had to go on was a God who had called him, spoken to him, and made some remarkable promises to him. And based on that alone, Abram decided to put his faith in that God. Not just once but again and again and again. Because Abram was going to have to wait another 15 years, 25 years in all, until he could hold that son of promise in his hands. Now, he would not always get things right in those 25 years. At times, he struggled mightily to believe. But in faith, he waited and trusted until he received what was promised. The New Testament book of Romans puts it this way. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. 
Now, God hasn't promised us land or children or fame or wealth or even health. But he has promised to be with us and to be for us. He's promised peace and strength and hope. He's promised to forgive us and make us new. And he's promised to take whatever happens to us in this world and work it together for something that in the end can be good for us and good for the world. Now, we're going to talk more about faith next week when we discover how Jesus makes this remarkable relationship possible. But what we're learning today is that from the beginning, God has been calling people into personal, conversational relationship with him based on faith alone. God is not looking for your good deeds or your religious activity or your Bible knowledge. All God's asking is that you would answer his call. Talk to him about whatever is happening in your life and world. And then trust him with every aspect of your life. If you've never heard God's call to a personal relationship with him, I hope you're hearing it now. If you, ha if you have heard it, I hope you've answered it with a commitment to follow him. If you haven't, you can do that today too. And if you're waiting on God for something, if you're afraid God might not come through, I hope you'll talk to him about that. I hope you'll put the whole weight of your whole life on God and find he's a God who can be trusted. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for speaking into our lives today through our worship and through the scripture. I pray, Lord, that everyone listening today will hear you calling their name and that they might say yes to a relationship with you for the first time or the hundredth time. And I pray that we would continue to hear your voice as we head out into this new week and that we might trust you with our whole lives for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.